This is the Innovation Engine podcast from Three Pillar Global, your home for conversations with industry leaders on all things digital transformation and innovation. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm your host and Three Pillars financial service industry lead, Rob Murray. I'm thrilled to be joined today by my colleagues, Albert Thibault and Jennifer Moon. Both our guests are an instrumental part of financial services industry team, which helps banking, credit unions, payment platforms, and fintech digitally transform by providing our clients with the expertise and tools to help pace the competition. Here at the Innovation Engine, we feel that we must learn from the past and apply it to the future. So to uh, use a famous quote from Soren Kierkegaard, life can only be understood looking backward, but it must be lived going forward. So we're going to take a bit of his guidance on this episode. So we'll be looking uh, in the rearview mirror at some of the biggest trends that shaped innovation in financial services in 2023. And we'll also be looking ahead at what's in store for 2024 when it comes to the intersection of digital products and all things innovation. So without further ado, Albert, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Woo, thanks for having us, Rob. Delighted to be here, Rob. Excellent. So let's kick things off today talking about the year that was. Since this is my first time as the sole host of the show, I'd like to try something a little bit different. I want each of us to take a minute, write down three trends that we saw shaping up in FinServe in the last year, share it, and then let's see where uh, and how much we overlap uh, in our in our suggestions. Is everybody ready? Wasn't prepared ready? for a test, Rob, but I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> So I'll give us a few seconds. I, I need to write that myself. I don't write a lot. So it's it's taking me <laughs> a second longer than I thought. All right. So I, I listed out my three. I'm going to show them here. I don't know if you guys can read that or not. And then Yes, we can. And they all kind of link together. Um, and I'll, I'll start with data, right? Actually, I wish I had written that last. I'm going to start with cashless. <laughs> this is cashless. And I put it in quotes, right? Because I use that that quotation, cashless, to represent a lot of things. But, you know, I didn't want to use the word digital because I feel like we've been talking about digitization for forever now. And so cashless really is the manifestation of that, right? And um, I leave my house without my wallet, right? I, I don't actually even remember. And, and it's funny, I say wallet as if I'm carrying cash. I don't actually even remember the last time I paid cash for something, right? And so what I meant by cash was actually credit card, which is my new currency of cash. Um, and even beyond that, now I can do it with my watch, do it with my phone. And so I think seeing that, um, and this links to that that next one, again, skip data, go down to personalization of like meeting individuals and digital native customers where they are, right? How how are financial services, customers, clients, infrastructure evolving to that? Um, and then the, the downstream effect of that is the amount of data that comes with it, right? When I paid with a $20 bill back in the day, that was that. And I walked home and yes, there was a receipt, but it wasn't necessarily tied to me. Now, you know, my banks know that I prefer to buy my groceries every Sunday at 10.30 a.m., right? And if they really want to track it, they can probably figure out what I was doing right before 10.30 a.m., I getting a coffee, also with my phone, you know? And so I think just this, this ecosystem of the user really being a walking set of data, um, I think I just saw that even more prevalent in 2023. Makes sense. 
Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Uh, Albert? Well, um, I'm my writing isn't as nice as probably you can't. So a, a lot of this is is tied into some of the themes that, that Jennifer was raising. Uh, the first is customer experience uh, and a couple of things about that. Uh, Jennifer talked about how uh, customer experience is being driven by uh, data and personalization. And what I've been noticing is that the customer experience between very, very large banks and uh, mid-sized banks is tending to look very similar. And that the difference between very large banks and mid-sized banks and very small financial institutions like a neighborhood credit union, for example, is is not as great as, as you would think. And so customer experience and, and because you know your 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 banking app in your the way that you interact with your financial institution via a, a laptop, for example, is becoming very similar, uh, that space is once again ripe for real innovation. And I think that when we when we move from 23 into 24, I'm going to bring up this topic again as as, as a place where financial service institutions can be once again begin to uh, differentiate themselves, having met the basic building blocks of a good CX. Uh, I think we all know um, approximately what that looks like and how design thinking and putting the user first can transform the way that you bank. And now it's really about using data to drive uh, uh, innovation. The second trend um, is really all about the war for talent. And um, at the beginning of the year, we saw a lot of the tech companies taking another look at whether or not they were appropriately staffed. We saw a lot of turnovers and I think uh, not turnovers, layoffs in the tech space. And I think banking really benefited from that by being able to bring in a lot of, of people. The problem with that is that all of those very, very innovative people want to work on the latest and greatest thing on the cutting edge. And if they're not working on the latest and greatest thing, then you're running into a, a, a turnover risk. And that brings me to the third point, which is uh, technical debt and how technical debt is beginning to overwhelm innovation budgets. And you're so busy worried about the technology that you installed 10, 15 years ago and whether or not you can make that work for digital natives in a uh, digital banking area, uh, era that you're unable to do the CX that really drives differentiation uh, and other types of innovation, which really drive uh, innovation. So banks are increasingly, uh, financial institutions more generally are increasingly worried about how they're going to handle, how they're going to manage all of the technical debt that they've incurred. No, it makes so a lot of one, sense. Two, three, Albert, Rob. Yeah, one of the things that, that you hit, both hit on, and it kind of jumps out at me, is, is the user experience, uh, specifically the digital user experience, for uh, consumers and, and clients in, 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 let's say, commercial space, but really digital in financial services, especially for your large financial institutions, are just the digitization of processes that existed, right? Yeah. And I've seen, I've read some, a uh, few articles as of late that talk about it really to get to real uh, um, optimized user experience is really almost to break all that apart and really to understand what it is that your customers and clients are trying to do and build it from there. But to your point, Albert, uh, a good bit of that is, is uh, the, the technical debt that exists is uh, yeah. restricting the ability to do that. Yeah, a lot of people I think have um, started with the premise that digital banking was taking a traditional checkbook and making that digital. 
So giving yourself a phone, then you can go and you can look and you can check your bank account and you can move money around and all that kind of good stuff. But the phone, uh, the digital experience should allow you to do far, far more, particularly as you inject AI and uh, big data into personalized solutions for for customers. So I, I think we're at a point now where we've kind of figured out the basics of banking and now we need to uh, drive differentiation, not by comparing yourself to people who don't have a digital checkbook, but to everybody now has a digital checkbook. So how do you make your digital checkbook superior, easier, more fun, whatever, than everybody else's? No, but great. And not to take away from all the great work that's been done. Like if you think about mobile banking and its progress over the last you know, 10, 15 years, it truly is amazing work. Um, but now I think we're, we're uh, on the cusp of, of what's that next level of innovation, right? I, I, I'm, I recently signed up for an investment app. Uh, I won't name it, but the, the way that they're going is to simplify the experience. So instead of, you know, 10,000 choices offered by the big bank, they're giving me three. And I'm not getting... The, all the choices that I might have wanted, but it sure is a lot easier. It's like choosing between three cereals and choosing between a whole aisle of cereals. How much fiber do you want? How much sugar do you want? Right, right. Well, it's like it's the difference <laughs> between going to Trader Joe's, right, versus Giant or whatever local grocery right. big chain grocery Exactly. And I have found this app really refreshing. In, you know, I was able to set it up in about 30 seconds flat, uh, make some really simple decisions and give it, of course, some of my money. And here I am. I'm making money all of a sudden um, while I ride the, the, the stock market up. Yeah. No, and I think and, it, 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 what I love about that on a human and personal level is it's opening its doors, right? We're widening our audience and the pool of people who, who get to play now because we've simplified it, right? You don't have to feel like... Right. I'm not prepared for that, or I don't have enough education or enough background for that. Like there is an element of even I can be part of this, right? Right. Love the that. democratization. Absolutely. Of, uh, I'm all, as a human, I'm thinking, for it. Now we're, get, we're getting way <laughs> off topic. How do you apply that education to uh, the unbanked, for example? People who who use uh, paycheck services or pay uh, check cashing right. services and so on will be will be very interesting to watch over the next uh, uh, the next several years. But if you don't have the big data and the personalization behind it, as you grow more sophisticated, you can rapidly outgrow your investment app. Yep. And so even now, I've been using this app for three months, and even now I'm kind of going, so is this it? Is this all I can do? And so it's kind of like, should I pull my money out and, and find a more sophisticated that's, app? That's the next uh, uh, phase of Good products, right? Making sure you can retain exactly. the customers right. once you, once you get. Right, but then you get more and more and more and more and complex, and and then you're getting into this situation where you're comparing the the, the Tesla's flat screen with your old yeah. analog. And then what? Where that. did your competitive advantage go? Right, but you're you're right. right. We're we're diving into a whole. We could we could dive into lots of tangents. That's right. Yeah, no, this great is, conversation. And so, and so I'll I'll share mine. Um, I don't know if you could see my card here. But uh, the three things that I hit on was economic trends, uh, the obvious interest in, in AI, and then 
uh, lastly, awareness uh, uh, around technical debt. And so one of the things that was really focused on as an industry lead uh, really coming into 2023 was just um, the, the economic headwinds that caused a rather significant pause uh, in investment in technology. And obviously, it was driven by the uncertainty. And it just really caused CFOs to kind of pull back investment. And, and as the year progressed, one of the things that uh, seemed noticeable to me is that this angst that existed in the beginning of the year started to slowly slip away. I'm not going to say it, it went away all the way away, but there was interest that obviously they cut a little bit, uh, a little bit too close to the bone, and the the initiatives that they were looking to cut were kind of necessary initiatives in order to either you know, you know meet customer need uh, or expectations, or you know keep up with the Joneses as it relates to their kind of competition. We started the year with a couple of bank failures. Right. <laughs> that was this That's year. You're, you're not wrong, that, was this year. that was this year. <laughs> so when you talk about economic headwinds and banking, I, none of us said not, regional banks. None of us talked about regional banks right. as the trend of 2023. <laughs> so there are just some definite economic headwinds. I was part of another innovation engine a podcast uh, with with Scott, and one of the things that we had talked about was specifically the uh, the bank failures in the early part of the year. And he asked yeah. me a question around the economy, and this kind of layers into what we're talking about here is uh, what word comes to mind is resilient. And the systems, what I thought was uh, interesting to me, and although there were bank failures, they were contained, right? And so it, what it showed to me, that at least that to a certain extent, is the systems that, that have been implemented and put in place to reduce the risk of bank failures really tended to work. And so um, that was at least, uh, you know, I, I always tend to look at the world in a half glass, a half a full glass, a, a, a glass half Your full. Your glass is just always full, Rob, because you're so Yeah, my glass is always there. full. But, the, but it, that was encouraging to me that the, the system worked. Yeah. The other piece that jumped out at me, and you can't, uh, it, and we'll talk about this in a moment as well, is just the obvious, obvious interest in AI. Right. I think leaders, technologists were just fascinated by the endless opportunities presented by AI and things like machine learning and what mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, and I had this on my list, too, is just awareness, a renewed awareness around technical debt and really the impact uh, and it's in the uh, in folks ability to innovate and really keep up, as I mentioned, with customer experience. Uh, expectations as well as their competitors. And so those are the things that really jumped out at me. There are plenty. We could spend the whole episode uh, uh, just talking about those, but but certainly uh, a few uh, a few that jumped out. So great. So uh, a bit more recently, in October, the three of us were out in Las Vegas, uh, Money 2020. I'd love to know what each of your big takeaways were. Uh, and then, of course, I'll share mine. Albert, if you'd like to start. Well, the big takeaway for me at Money 2020 was the, the focus on customer experience and how uh, relevant it remains and how having reached the plateau I talked about earlier that there is a, a deep need to keep investing in CX in order to drive differentiation uh, and not just keeping up with the Joneses or digitizing um, paper processes but how do you drive new experiences and delightful experiences that will convince me to leave a bank and move to a different bank? Because once you're in a bank and you're using it for three or four different products, uh, shifting, uh, you become quite sticky. 
and you're willing to put up with a lot of friction because the 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 cost of change is gets uh, higher and higher as you engage with more and more products. So that was one thing that really struck me was how many people were talking about customer experience and how many people were planning to invest in it in 2024. 2024 is going to be a good year to be a, a, a top flight UX person in banking, I think. Could be. Jen, how about yourself? You know, so other than the obvious of the house always wins, uh, <laughs> my biggest takeaway from Money 2020 in Vegas was just continued focus on security and trust, right? So yes, we as users, we as customers constantly say things we want, but things better. We want things faster. We want things cheaper. But hold on a minute, not at the expense of our security and our trust, right? And once you fracture that trust, it's 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 very hard to rebuild if ever, right? That That's a customer that you'll churn in a trid and, and never get back. And so being able to balance all these things that we're talking about, absolutely having the best innovative customer experience without fracturing that trust, I think is is huge, right? And, you know, organizations certainly shouldn't use security as an excuse. Those are Jen's words, not, not words that I necessarily heard on any of the stages. But, you know, don't use it as an excuse. But at the same time, it is very real and it is very important to, to keep at the forefront of all your initiatives. One of the, the thing, one of my big takeaways coming out of Money 2020 is there was a session uh, titled uh, "Commercial Banking Treasury: What We Can Learn from a Consumer Experience," and it it uh, kind of reinforces some of the talk track uh, around uh, user experience that we we've been discussing. But one of the the, the uh, data points that they shared is that 39 percent of the workforce is Gen Z, and then you layer on that 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 older generations have an expectation of a user experience, not on not only on how they use their uh, products and services provided by, say, a bank or your user app, but, but their employee experiences, right? And that's going to begin to certainly uh, impact your employee satisfaction, that uh, what can we learn from these consumer experiences, pull them into the commercial side, into treasury and those types of things, both from their client standpoint Right on, on, and how do I do my day to day job? But also from an employee standpoint, how do we enable employees to have the right data at the right time, information that's that's easily acceptable, so that I can provide provide consistent help uh, to my to my client base. So I thought that was really interesting. Again, reinforcing the the need for uh, improved not only consumer and client experiences, but also employee experience as well. Yeah. yeah. A good bit about open banking uh, softwares as a service yeah. as well. There was just, a, um, you know, as we evolve and some of the the guidance that they've been recently provided uh, on how uh, large financial institutions should, should accommodate the the open banking initiatives uh, was I thought was was fascinating as well. All right, so let's shift with uh, and shift to twenty twenty four and just take a few minutes and come up with you know two or three for the sake of time trends that we see being important uh, for 2024 and financial services and comparing contrast and discuss. I, I would expect that they would likely be somewhat redundant on some of the things that we've talked, at least some of my talking points are. And I'll start. The first thing, obviously, is uh, what I see coming for 2024 is, you know, as I mentioned, not only client or customer experiences, but employee-facing uh, experiences uh, as well. I had a recent conversation with Gartner and one of the analysts there. And as we were talking about the uh, improving 
what I would call a, a somewhat, you know, I think employee experiences have been somewhat ignored over the years. And as uh, you know, as, as you take a step back and look at those experiences, a couple areas where if we improve those experiences and enabled our, our employees, especially client facing or customer facing uh, employees, the tools and the technology and the experiences that enabled and provide additional capabilities for our for their customers, and then also pl- us, uh, also impact the capacity for the organization itself. Right? If we make if we make them more efficient, we're able to provide our clients not only with more options and and, th- and and opportunities to satisfy customer needs, but we also provide additional capacity for the business where the employee now can take on more kind of more clients. Uh, the example that was given to me was very specific to uh, a financial advisor that based upon the technology that they have today, they may only be able to manage, you know, 20, uh, 20 clients. But if we enable them uh, within certain, their their range of, uh, of clients may be anywhere from a million dollars of an investment to a $5 million invest, $5 million of investments. But as an advisor, I'm going to focus to my, my clients with a five million, because that's you know that's kind of how I would prioritize things. But if we provide the technology to enable them, they may be able to further uh, help the, the the folks with just a million, just a million dollars in investments, and try to bring them kind of upstream, but also take on more clients and benefiting both clients as well as the employee. So I thought that was kind of fascinating uh, in specific around the employee uh, employee experience. AI, uh, I think in 2024, you'll see a maturation and an evolution of the understanding and really begin to get a realistic application uh, of AI capabilities and both in short and, and really redefine short and long-term expectations, right? There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things that we don't understand yet about uh, AI. It's not the, the end-all, cure-all, you know, so be careful of the shiny thingy. But I think that's when we'll mature as we learn more around AI. And then lastly, data engineering, analytics, and then ultimately monetization of that data. The, I think the vast amount of, you know, these organizations that we work with have vast amount of, of data, right? And it's important to organize it in a way that's usable and not only for internal, internal purposes, uh, helping drive business cases and, and decision making and those types of things, but there's many of these organizations that can monetize the data sharing the data in a way that's valuable in clients, um, obviously being respectful of, of privacy and those types of things, but it, it, things like benchmarking, which is just a, uh, such a need for organizations to understand where they are relative to their, to their peers, their competition, and what have you, I think is just is really fascinating and some things we'll see in 2024. And, you know, I, I had on my list also generative AI, right? So I won't, I won't harp on that. I think what I, I'll do instead is take that and something new popped in my mind, which is great, Rob, right? Just listening to you speak and your expertise, especially just, you know, you've been there and you've sat in those chairs. Um, but I think, you know, in the post-COVID world with increasing globalization, increasing amounts of data, and now generative AI and people wanting to be ahead and on the forefront of things and being proactive versus reactive, um, just also being sensitive to what that really means, right? Because yes, you want to use data in, in a ethical manner. Um, and then 
when we add globalization on top of it, not all countries have the same rules for how you can use data and what you can use data for, right? We think especially of the EU and GDPR, right, which is very different than how we would handle anything here stateside. And so I think adding that layer and then going back to your point, Albert, of from before of operationally, we already have very complex systems. So how do we do this nimble in a nimble manner so that we can we can make progress? We can actually do stuff rather than constantly hit internal blockers. And so with that, you know, my next trend is really partnerships, right? I think there's no question now of buy or build. There are clear roads where you will buy something versus go and build it yourself. And so what you, what hopefully clients and and organizations are looking for are partners who are actually good stewards on that path of actually helping them determine what to buy versus build as well, right? Because it's easy as a vendor to be like, we'll build everything for you, right? Um, But I think, I think there's a time and place where as a good partner, we'll actually say, no, you should go buy that. And we can help you with that in, in your overall strategy and roadmap, but don't, don't build it yourself, right? It's not, it's not the right answer long-term. So um, I'm going to be a, a little bit more, uh, how do I put it, down to earth. And the trends that I want to talk about are sort of ripped from recent conversations that I've been having with my clients, which are around um, intelligent process automation and regulatory technology. We opened the conversation uh, today talking about you know, bank failures at the start of the year. And yes, we did pull through um, with relatively minimal damage uh, from the consumer's point of view. But from the bank's point of view, they were loaded on with a lot more regulatory regulations to, uh, to manage. And um, intelligent process automation lends itself really well to being able to produce the reports and the outcomes that regulatory authorities are seeking without having to add a a tremendous amount of of overhead. And as those uh, regulations become uh, more complex and you need to produce more reports for uh, the regulatory authority, then building the technology that will enable you to do that speedily and efficiently will be absolutely critical. And as I say, this is a, the, a topic ripped from the headlines, so to speak. I, I had this conversation, in fact, earlier today with one of my clients about how to use process automation and data together. Uh, maybe may I sprinkle in a little AI um, if they can in order to uh, deliver the reports that uh, authorities, the regulatory authorities are seeking without spending enormous amounts of employee time. So I think regulatory technology, reg tech, uh, is going to be a, a, a source of pain for uh, banking and financial services and uh, institutions and, and one where they uh, there's a lot of catch-up work to do. Love it. Absolutely agree. So with uh, kind of the next question or, or next thing, the next topic I'd love to talk about is you know, it's hard to think about all these different trends within 2024 without talking about AI, right? It is everywhere. It's been delivered through their, our conversation today. How, how would you think fi- financial services companies should be thinking about how they deploy AI uh, in their organizations? And maybe I'll start. I have a few um, kind of few thoughts on it, and then we'll just turn it quickly over to, to uh, Albert and, and Jen. 
Uh, one, I just, and I layered this in, uh, in a, some of our earlier commentary, but I just be careful of the shiny thingy, right? Understand yeah. that it's new technology. It needs to be proven. Make sure that it meets the, the use case or the business objective that you're looking to address. And so certainly I would suggest things like proof of concepts or pilots, pilots to test your hypothesis and make sure that it's, 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 the, the solution is fitting the problem that you're looking to solve. So, uh, Albert, any thoughts on AI? I would tend to agree that a lot of uh, the people I talk to have AI and are looking for a problem instead of going the other way around. I'm old enough to remember when telephone apps on your phone were a brand new thing and everybody had to have an app. And it had to be a native app and they had to have one for the iPhone and one for the Android and one for the third thing and one for the fourth thing. And now, you know, they're all using a hybrid app that is very simple uh, to maintain on a phone. And I would be uh, careful to start with the business problem that you're trying to solve and see if AI fits rather than everybody is using AI, therefore I have to uh, test AI somewhere in my business. Instead, start with uh, with the problem and then uh, see if AI is the fit. Makes sense. Jen, any additional thoughts? Yeah, I think my only thing I would add to that, because you guys both make great points, is focus on your data first. I know it doesn't sound as sexy as saying, let's get to it, right, let's get to AI. Um, but if you don't have the data, you know, the insights are, are going to be lacking, right? Um, because it, it's driven off that underlying data. And so if you today cannot, one, tell me where your data is coming from or to access that information, you're going to, you know, fa fail before you even get started. And so really start, start at the foundation there is, is what I would say. So invest in master data management? You know, if, if, if that tickles you, if that's something. <laughs> that tickles me. <laughs> that's a nice oh, phrase. Great nice insights, feeling. everybody. Great. Thank you, Albert, Jen. Really robust conversation. Uh, it seems like we could have spent another hour certainly talking about these great topics. I, I hope in the new year we'll have an opportunity to, to meet again and get dive a little bit deeper into these topics and more. This was great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Glad to be here, Rob. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. Three Pillar is a digital product development and innovation partner that helps companies compete and win in the digital economy. To learn more about Three Pillar Global and how we can help you, visit our website at threepillarglobal.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.